This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. DWA 517K, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. We want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. There's 71 pop the golf, good. Yeah, was there anybody above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? There's 71 pop the golf, negative. Okay. Pop this. It's a UFO. Yeah. It's emergency 295. Yeah, something just passed over. So, uh, like us. Don't know what it was, but it's at least two, three thousand feet above us. Yeah, I passed right over the top of us. 911. You guys busy? Did we just call about the UFOs? Mm-hmm. They're out there. They yeah. airplanes. Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, 
you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to the show everyone, wherever in the world you are joining us from tonight. I hope you're all having a good week so far. Tonight's guest is Rob, calling from the state of Oregon. And Rob will be sharing some of his UFO sightings, numerous abduction and paranormal experiences, and non-stop synchronicities throughout his entire life. Rob up next. If you enjoy the show and you would like to help support the podcast on Patreon, you can do this for as little as $1 a month. Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash UFO Chronicles podcast. You can also find a link in the description of this episode below. Any help is very much appreciated. Now on with the show. Welcome to the show, Rob. Well, thanks, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. It's almost like, you know, I know you in some ways just by listening to the podcast. And it's uh, it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing, wonderful service that you're providing by creating your podcast. So we, we all appreciate that very much. Oh, that's great to hear, Rob. Thank you. Uh, and it is great to have you with us. And uh, you're calling from the state of Oregon. Yes, I'm calling from Oregon. I've lived in many states, but this is our current state and hopefully the last state that I will live in. Your experiences cover a wide area of many locations, and you have uh, over 60 years of living the life of an experiencer. Uh, would you be so kind as to start at the beginning, please, sir? Sure, Nick. It's, uh, yes, it's been, it's been quite an experience. It, it all started, I was born pretty much in the geographical center of Wyoming, a, a town called Riverton which is in the Wind River Indian Reservation. Uh, I'm, I'm not Native American, but my father operated a, uh, a pumping station for an oil company 30 miles west of Riverton, and that's where we lived in this company camp. And that was I was born in 58, and we moved from there in 63 to a town in the southeastern corner of Wyoming, 200 miles north of Denver, Colorado, a little town called Guernsey. It was 800 people. And we lived six miles outside of the town of Guernsey, uh, towards the southeast, uh, where my dad ran another one of these pumping stations for an oil company. So it was kind of a, you know, solitary life. And uh, the first experience that happened was, I imagine I was close to eight years old. I would say it was probably around 1966. And my brother, who's three years older than me, living, living that far outside of town, our nearest neighbor was a mile away. We didn't have friends over a lot, but that day, it was a nice, I'd say late spring day, sunny, cloudless sky, really nice, cool temperature. I think it was probably around 11 in the morning, maybe noon, and my brother had a friend out to play, and they were in our front yard, which was on the west side of the house, and I'd been around on the back side of the house, and I decided to go see what they were up to, so I Walked around the corner of the house, around the south side, and just as I got to the southwest corner of the house, I looked over and saw my brother and his friend playing, and they just suddenly stopped playing, 
And I stopped dead in my tracks, and all three of us just looked up in the air. And here probably, I'd say it's probably 800 feet above us, was this large, classic flying saucer just sitting there. And it was the classic shape of, you know, two two plates face-to-face with a spherical, you know, center section. It was just totally motionless, not a not a sound, not a quiver of, you know, movement, nothing. And I'd say it was probably about 80 yards in diameter, maybe maybe a little bit larger than that. But the outside ring of the UFO was kind of a stainless steel looking material. It was very smooth, not polished, kind of a matte surface. But the center bulbous section, that globe in the center of the UFO, it looked like hammered metal, like the old metal that you see, you know, from the dawn of the metal age, where a metalsmith would sit there with a hammer and make these hammered metal marks throughout the, the metal. That's what the center section looked like. And we just sat there for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 seconds watching it. And then all of a sudden it started to move towards the northeast. And this cloud just appeared. And it went behind this cloud. And we watched it. And then the cloud dissipated. And when the cloud dissipated, it was gone. It was just no longer there. So, And it was odd that we never... We never really talked about it. We just kind of went about our business and did our thing. And Greg and I mentioned that to our parents that night. And of course, we'd never heard of anything about, you know, UFOs or didn't even know what one was really. We just had this experience. So that was the start of the physical sightings. But there were other things that were happening as well. And those started earlier. When I was really young, say from the age of three on, I used to have just these horrible, horrible nightmares where I'd wake up screaming and just sobbing and my parents would come in and want to know what was wrong. Well, there were two, two different nightmares. One was of me falling into this perfectly circular black hole. But the strange thing about it is it wasn't like I was falling down. It was kind of like I was falling up. And at the side of this hole, I would always see my paternal grandmother's face. It was like I'd see her face, which would just give me a brief instance of happiness and comfort, then all of a sudden I'd be falling into this hole. So that was one of the nightmares. Then the other nightmare I used to have was just this horrible droning noise. And it was just something that permeated you and surrounded you. And it was just horribly frightening, you know, just for a young kid. So that was the other thing that was going on that I would, that I've just since in the last few months kind of put two and two together as to what that was all about. So But I'll move on to the other things that happened to my brother and I was we lived or our bedroom was upstairs in our home and our window faced south. And my dad had just built like this oasis for us in the middle of the prairie because we were in high desert Wyoming prairie and, you know, just sagebrush everywhere. Guernsey itself is a really beautiful area with a lot of sandstone outcroppings and cedar trees and that type of thing. But where we were, it was just barren. But my dad had made just this beautiful you know, yard forest and patio. Well, my brother and I were looking at, and we had talked about this at a later time. We said, did you remember something happening one night where we got up to the window and looked out? I said, yeah. And he said, well, what did you see? And I said, well, I don't know how to say this, but when I looked down at the patio, it looked like this, this figure was down there, but he looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man or the Michelin Tire Man, that, that character that's got the bulbous white you know, like tire looking body. And he was looking back up at us 
over his right shoulder, just smiling. And, and that was the end of it. And we never talked about it, you know, anymore, but it was just one of those little instances of, you know, what the heck was that? And then not too long after that, I, I would say all these instances happened probably within a three or four year time frame. We had a similar experience where we were once again at that window looking down, but we were looking towards the west down behind this chain link fenced area that surrounded where my dad worked. It was a secure area because it was a pipeline and you know it was dangerous for people to be in there that didn't know what they were doing. So there was this big chain link fence. Well, to the south of that chain link fence, my brother and I looked down there and here are these two UFOs that are similar to what was above us in the air that one day. And they're sitting there on these three legs and each of them have a ramp coming down. And we didn't see anybody, any beings, but it was just, it's just a memory of those UFOs sitting there behind dad's station. So later, later on, as we, as we aged and my sister moved out of the house and we changed bedrooms and stuff, I got to move down into my sister's bedroom, which is downstairs on the south side of the house. And there was a window facing east at the foot of my bed. And I remember one night waking up and the blinds were just kind of partially open. And I looked at the window and here was the face or there was this huge mule buck deer standing outside the window looking at me with just this huge rack of, you know, antlers in this beautiful semicircle shape going up over its head. And I don't remember anything more. It's just like, well, that's nice seeing a deer standing out there. And it's just like I just went back to sleep. So these are little just, you know, snippets, kind of like photographs that are stuck in my mind of, of things that have happened. But then the next thing that started happening was I woke up one morning. <laughs> and it was strange is that I wasn't in my bed. I was standing out in the middle of the prairie southwest of our house looking at the house, and I was dressed in kind of my good, not Sunday clothes, but like good clothes if we were going to visit relatives or something. I had on my best jeans and a nice shirt and my good shoes, and I was all cleaned up and my hair was combed, and I just had this overwhelming sense of everything being perfect. The weather was perfect. It was like 5.15, 5.30 in the morning in summer, so it was cool out. And I was just facing the house, and I just couldn't believe how perfect everything was. You know, the prairie smelled perfect. The sunlight was beautiful. The temperature was just right. And my mom, in her flower gardens around the house, had planted all these moss roses that only open up when the sun comes up. So in the nighttime, they close up. And when the sun comes up, they start to open up. And, and I couldn't believe how just beautiful those were. I uh, I ran into the house real fast. and woke up mom and dad and said, you guys have got to come out and see how just gorgeous it is. But, you know, that experience is like one second I didn't exist. And all of a sudden it's like somebody propped me up and got me perfectly placed and made sure everything was perfect and then just flipped a switch. And then instantly I was just awake and there. So I never really thought of these being abduction experiences until, you know, later in life. But I'm pretty sure, you know, now that that's what what I was going through was abduction experiences. As time went on, I got a little bit older and was able to drive. And my parents, my mom worked in town. She was vice president of a bank. 
and my dad's best friend was commander in chief of a guard camp. Uh, Guernsey is home to a national guard training facility that trains national guardsmen from a 13 or a 15 state area. So it's a really huge complex. There's all sorts of training ranges for 105 millimeter howitzers and bazooka ranges and tank ranges and anything you can imagine national guard or army doing they trained for around that area so we're used to seeing anything in the sky we'd see all sorts of military planes flying over we'd see them dropping flares at night we'd see them shooting flares via the 105 howitzers and my brother and i also at night would stay up and lay on our picnic table and watch satellites go over that was one of our hobbies and things that we just love to do. We always love the night sky. Anything that flew, we loved. We loved airplanes, still do. Uh, so we're used to seeing, you know, things in the sky and, and watching the sky. So one night, my parents were in at their friend's house at a party, and we kids were invited to go along. So we went in, and it was getting late, and I was getting kind of bored with what the parents were doing. So I asked my mom and dad if I could take the car and go home. So they said, sure, you know, go home. I think I was probably 15 years old, maybe. So I jumped in our Volkswagen car McGee and started going out to the house. And the first four miles is windy paved road. But then the last two miles heads directly east. And it's it's almost just a straightaway for two miles. And halfway down that straightaway is was our nearest neighbor where this cattle guard is. And I was going down that dirt road and got about 200 yards before I hit that cattle garden, happened to glance in the rearview mirror, and here were these two big, huge white lights following me. And I thought, well, you know, it's somebody playing a trick on me. You know, these ranch kids around here have these big lights on their pickups, and it's probably one of those guys behind me in his pickup, you know, trying to scare me. So I, I sped up. And it was still behind me. And pretty soon I was going 80 miles an hour down this dirt road in our Volkswagen car, McGee. But then the next time I looked in the rearview mirror to look at the lights, they were probably 100 feet off the ground because I had to duck down to look up in the mirror to see the lights that were above me. So, And, you know, nothing else happened. I continued on my way home, and I was kind of – it really petrified me because I was at the age where, you know, it was kind of scary out there by yourself and – my brother and I had some scary incidents in the house out there when we were younger. So I got home and called my parents and I was crying on the phone saying I would just got chased by something down the road. And, and, you know, we never knew what to make of it, but, but that was, that was the end of it. Nothing ever, you know, ever happened after that. So, but in addition to what I went through there, my dad also had a couple of, of sightings that were pretty spectacular. Uh, one in particular when these oil companies are transferring the oil from these from one another, they like one company will buy oil from another company. So the oil comes down into the pipeline and it's going to be pumped into this tank. So they have to measure the tank before and after the oil gets pumped into it. So you have a representative from one oil company and then the other oil company. Well, you have to go up on top of the tank to do what they call gauging the tank, which is seeing how much oil's in it. And this one happened to happen in the middle of the night, like at 2.30 in the morning or 3. Our house also happened to be along the flight path of the low-level practice uh, range or bombing run for the B-52. So it wasn't unusual, you know, every year or so to see a B-52 come over our house like at 500 feet off the ground. Uh, 
just cruising on by doing their their training exercises. So my dad and this other gentleman were up on top of the tank, and they looked off in the distance towards the east. And my dad said, "Well, it looks like there's a B-52 coming, you know, on a training run." So they stopped what they were doing and kept watching these lights. Got closer and closer and closer, and Dad said there was absolutely no noise, but he said when it got over the top of them, it was so big that it completely blocked out the entire sky. There, You couldn't see a single star. And it frightened the guy that was with him so bad that that guy tried to jump off the tank, which is 60 feet tall, where they were, they were at the top of it. So my dad had to grab him by the back of the jacket and point him down the stairs and say, you know, run down the stairs. So... You know, that was that was just another incident of things that that we saw there in, in Guernsey. So there wasn't wasn't much else that happened to me there in Guernsey as far as physical sightings. I graduated from high school in seventy six and went to my first two years of school in Casper College in Casper, Wyoming, which is about hundred and thirty miles west of where I grew up. And, you know, nothing really happened while I was going to college except for one very strange incident. And speaking of synchronicities and serendipitous things again, my brother went to the University of Wyoming, which is in Laramie, Wyoming, hundreds, hundred or so miles away from where I was going to college. And his, his roommate was a gentleman. I won't say his name, but when I went to go to college for my first year at Casper College, I walked into my dorm room and here was the brother of the guy who was my brother's roommate, where he went to school in Laramie. So it's just another one of those crazy synchronicities where what's the chances of two brothers being roommates, two different colleges, you know, at different times? Just one of those strange coincidences. So anyway, this guy was really nice. He had a girlfriend and spent a lot of time with her at her parents' house. And so this one week about, oh, three or four months into the school season, I think it was probably January, maybe late December, I just got deathly ill. And he was spending time with his girlfriend because I was sick. So he he was just absent. He never came back. Well, I laid in that dorm room for like three days, almost four days, I think, before a nurse finally came and checked on me. And don't really have much recollection of of the whole thing. But my best friend there in college, once I had recovered and was kind of back out you know, doing classes and stuff, this best friend came up to me and said, you know, Rob, when you were sick, it's the strangest thing, but I, I saw you. He said, I walked up to you. You were standing in the doorway of a building in front of this one classroom. And he said, I walked up to you and said, hi. And he said, you just stared right through me and didn't say a word and didn't even acknowledge that I was there. And I know it wasn't me because I was, you know, sick in bed, <laughs> you know, deathly ill in my dorm room. So that's just another, one of those strange occurrences that I, I can't explain, but it's kind of a precursor to, you know, other things happen and, and also what happened, you know, previously when I was younger. So, so really nothing else happened there in, uh, in Casper while I was going to college. As things progressed, I decided to go to a third year of school in Washington State at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. And my best friend and I went out there together, and we had an apartment that was probably uh, a mile, about a mile and a third off of campus. So it was a real good trek because when you're going to school, you get 
you don't really want to drive your car to school because there's no parking spaces and you know that whole whole thing but so we'd walk to class every day and it would take you know half an hour to get to to class uh real pretty steep hill going up and it was a hill going down from our apartment but during the winter i i'd met this woman who would become my wife uh the first day of class she was standing at the top of the doorway to this I think it was an English class, and it was like my mind just took a snapshot, a picture of her, which I still can see in my mind. So, of course, she and I became, you know, joined at the hip and spent a lot of time together. Well, I was at her dorm room late, and it was curfew time, so I had to leave. I think it was 11 o'clock. But we'd had just this horrendous snowstorm, and there was about a foot and a half to two feet of snow on the ground on the level, and I had these big, huge snow boots that I wore. So I got those put on and I said, you know, I'm going to walk home and I'll give you a call when I get back to the apartment to let you know that I made it. And she said, that's that's good. So I remember walking out of her dorm room, out of the dorm, going down this hill, which was behind her dorm, where all the students used to sled because they'd take their lunch trays out of the lunchroom and slide down this hill when it snowed out. So I got down there, and then at the bottom of that were city streets that took me down this big long hill, then up this other big hill up to my apartment. Well, I remember going down, walking down the beginning of that first residential street, but then the next thing I remember was being in my apartment and calling to tell her that I had made it, you know, back safely to the apartment. And she said, she picked up the phone and she said, "What are you? Where are you at?" And I said, well, I'm, I'm at the apartment. And she says, well, you can't be. She says, you've only been gone five minutes. And I said, well, what do you mean five minutes? And she says, well, you only left here five minutes ago. She said, how did you get home so fast? And I had no explanation. I couldn't really remember anything. And I just made some s- smart comment to her like, well, you know, I'm a really fast runner. I just ran as fast as I could, which is, you know, ludicrous to think of because it would take, you know, 20 minutes at best if you were running through that snow to get back you know, to that apartment. So that's, I, th- I think that's an, a really interesting thing where, in fact, it's not a case of missing time, but it's like a case of a time jump or a time shift, a time forward. And especially with her, her being the one that, you know, realized by looking at her clock that I'd only left, you know, five minutes prior. So that was just another, you know, strange, strange incident. I didn't have any other sightings there. I I ran out of money, so I had to leave college. That was the only year I went to Washington State. But then I became a nuclear reactor operator at Hanford, which uh, N-Reactor is a reactor that used to produce plutonium for our nation's weapons program. So I worked there as a reactor operator for three years and uh, saw the writing on the wall that it was going to be closing down. And uh, at that time, this woman at college that I'd met, uh, she and I decided to get married. So we got married and her, her brother and sister or her brother, sister and brother-in-law lived in California. So we went down there on our honeymoon and met them and they said, well, you guys really need to, you know, move down here and be close to us and, you know, be kind of where the action was. This would have been 1981. And Southern LA at that time was, or Southern California was really a, a cool place to be. You know, the crime was low and that's when Everybody was positive and full of energy and wanting to do great things. And so we thought, yeah, this would be a great move for us. So we decided to go down there. So we moved down there and nothing, 
real strange happened. Didn't see any UFOs or anything like that. But my wife and I did have an extremely strange happening one night where it was wintertime. I think it was just before Christmas, probably 1983, because we had moved from our original place into this second apartment. We were sound asleep. Our bedroom was upstairs, face south. There was a hallway and then another room, our office across the hallway, big double doors leading into the bedroom. Well, my wife and I both woke up at exactly the same millisecond, absolutely petrified, to the point where we were both whimpering. And we were we had lifted ourselves up on our butts and we were scooting ourselves back towards the headboard, knowing that something was coming at us from the foot of the bed. And we were both just absolutely petrified. And I it took me about two seconds to get my wits about me. And I said, I said, well, what do you see? And she said, there's all of these giant Christmas presents marching towards us at the, at the foot of the bed. When, and in that instant, it's just like a spell was broken because what I was seeing was computer keyboards mounted on top of these like three foot tall white pedestals with a, a three triangular three, three finger base to them. And these computer keyboards were marching towards the bed towards us. So, so here we were both petrified of something, but we were petrified of different things. So, but like I said, it was like the spell was broken. So I get up out of bed because the light outside the office window was strange. So I get out of bed, go across the hallway and look down. And when you look down out of that window, you were looking at the parking lot for both our apartment then, which had covered parking. And there was an open area and then there was covered parking on the other side with another apartment building. Well, down there in the parking lot amongst the cars, there must have been 30 or 40 of these small beans that were just probably not even three feet tall, maybe 32, 34 inches tall, not quite three feet. And they were, they were all exactly the same. It's like you took a cookie cutter and, and just stamped them out. But they were all dressed in these what looked like cotton or lycra bodysuits that started at their toes and came all the way up to their bodies, around their heads, and around the top of their heads. So it completely eliminated any, any features that you would see on their faces. You know, you knew that they had arms and hands. You can definition to the hands. But they were down there just wandering around like they were bumper cars. They were just bumping into each other. And when they'd bump into each other, they'd turn around and kind of spin and go another direction. Just like they were lost. They had no idea what they were doing. They were just like bumper cars, just bumping into each other and just going around. And at that point, I looked back around towards the hallway. And here I see this blue orb in the hallway. And I was like, well, what in the world is that? It was about the size of a large grapefruit. And it wasn't, it wasn't emanating light, but it's like it was lit from the inside and it was just kind of glowing. But it didn't have definite edges. It's like the light emanated from the inside and formed a solid, but then towards the edges, it just kind of dissipated and became these wisps of color. So I, I went over to, to get a closer look and it started moving down the hallway and I followed it and it went down the stairs. It went over to a fireplace that was down at the north end of the living room, went into the fireplace, and went up the chimney and was gone and never saw anything after that. And the, the strange thing is that my wife and I 
went back to sleep. We never talked about that incident. We mentioned it maybe once and, and that was it. It was just like, it was a non, it was like a non-issue, which was just so, so strange to think of that, you know, we wouldn't be just talking about it nonstop. Now, my sister, I remember calling her anytime I had one of these incidents, I remember ta- talking to my sister about them and I talked to my dad about him. I don't think I ever mentioned him to my mom, but it was just, I think it's just so odd how in listening to some of your other podcasts, how those of us who experience some of these things sometimes don't talk about it. It's like there's some mechanism that takes place that just makes us not, not bring, bring it out and talk about it. Like you would normally talk about, you know, some other big event that had happened in your life that you would, you know, want to share with somebody or, or talk about. And, you know, these experiences are so, so far out there that it's, you'd think it would be something that you would just have to get off your chest and go tell somebody about just, or talk about, especially when it happens to two of you together, you'd think you'd want to just sit there and discuss it and discuss it and discuss it, but it just didn't happen. So. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
So anyway, that that was about the the experiences in California, and my first wife and I ended up divorcing in '88. So that came to an end, and I've always been kind of a workaholic, so I was heavily involved in my job. You know how sometimes these things all happen at once. I decided to leave that very successful job and got another job through a very close friend, dear friend who's also passed, but then was courted by a uh, consumer electronics company out of Virginia. So for three years, they kept flying me out to Virginia to have interviews with them because I had this base set of knowledge that they needed to complete this large project. And I kept saying no, and they kept bringing me out. So, But every time I'd go out there, there was this woman that I would see. She was in the creative department. And it's another one of those things where I have a snapshot in my mind of seeing her for the first time on each of those three trips. When those things happen, I, I've come to learn that there's something that's going to happen with regards to that in the future. So, you know, I just kind of paid attention to it. And, but anyways, finally, I took this job and moved out to Charlottesville, Virginia. Wonderful company, greatest people in the world, and just, just loved it. Just a wonderful experience. Well, I wanted to be in a house, so I bought a home. And I don't know whether I was trying to set myself up for what I had during childhood, but anyways, I bought a home that was six miles outside of town, north of Charlottesville, out on this dirt road, had just been built, brand new, nice home. And it just had a certain energy about it that was just really nice. It just felt like a really good, comfortable home. So bought that home, you know, enjoyed it, and didn't really have any strange ex experiences in it. But a, a very good friend of mine, actually a college buddy, the one that I'd went to school in Washington State with, he and I had both become very interested in growing spiritually and kind of, you know, finding ourselves. It was like we were kind of lost on a personal basis where we were both just extremely hard workers, you know, straight shooters, didn't do drugs, didn't do none of that stuff. We, we just wanted to produce work, you know, be the best that we could. But our personal lives were, you know, not what we wanted them to be. So he, he had discovered this place called the Monroe Institute, which is south of Charlottesville. And Bob Monroe was a person who invented this process called hemisync. And hemisync is a process by which you take one frequency of sound, say 16 hertz, 16 cycles per second, and you introduce that into, say, your right ear. Then you take another note of, say, 18 cycles per second or 14, and these are just arbitrary numbers. They're not, they don't mean anything. But you introduce that into the other ear. Well, you're, since it's a singular frequency being injected into each ear, and this is over music, so you don't really hear it. It's kind of not, I guess you could say subliminal. What the brain does is the brain hears each of those, but it has to create, it has to make reason of it. So what the brain does is it creates a frequency between the two. So if you had like 16 in one ear and 18 in the other, it might, the brain will create a frequency of 17. And what that 17 does is it travels from like the left hemisphere of your brain to the right hemisphere. That's called a beat frequency. And it just sits there and beats back and forth. Well, what they discovered was that when this process takes place, it opens up pathways in your brain for, you know, spiritual awakening, making contact with entities. The U.S. government used it for remote viewing. Uh, that was one of their mechanisms by which remote viewing was actually invented, was using this hemisync. So this Monroe Institute, 
they had uh, retreats where you could go for a week and immerse yourself in this technology and learn how to use it. And so my best friend went to it first, and he had just a wonderful experience with it. And I could just tell an immediate difference in him as a person. He was just happier, seemed more able to, you know, just control how he was feeling about, you know, where his life was and, and being in power of his life and being able to, to move forward. So I thought, God, you know, that's really pretty cool what he's experienced. So, so I decided to go through it. But one of the reasons I decided to go through it was my whole life has been about waveforms and acoustics and energy, how all those things interact. And I've heard on your program speak with a couple of guests about how, you know, we, we look at a wall and we think that wall is solid, but that wall is actually just this big vibrating mass of molecules. And if you go in far enough and, and look at a small enough level, you know, that wall is just full of voids, but it's vibrating. And everything we see around us is just something that's vibrating at a specific frequency. And even, you know, even our, our presence here on Earth is based on frequency because, you know, a lot of us don't realize that we're, mo we're actually moving right now at 1.3 million miles an hour through the cosmos because that's the speed, the straight line speed of our galaxy as it's moving through the universe. But at the same time, that, that galaxy is spinning at a speed of 483,000 miles an hour. Then our solar system is moving at 43,000 miles an hour. You know, our planet is moving around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And here we're on the surface of the Earth moving at 1,000 miles an hour. So we've got all of this movement that's taking place that, in essence, is really creating a frequency and a record of us as we move through, you know, the universe. You could kind of think of that 1.3 million mile an hour galaxy straight line speed as being a carrier wave. And then all these vibrations are riding on top of that, you know, as we move through. So I've always been just fascinated how anything to do with energy and waveforms, how all that affects us and how it's used and, and what we don't know about it, especially. So, so anyway, long story short, I did go through one of these programs and immediately just started having very interesting things happen. And being by myself out at this home that I purchased, I was able to really spend a lot of time meditating. So every night I would spend a couple of hours, you know, after I'd taken care of business, gotten the cats taken care of and everything, I'd, I'd just go into my room and, and meditate. And it was really an amazing experience in that I contacted, I didn't contact, I had a lot of people or entities show up around me as I was doing my meditating. And the, th the thing I kind of am a little sad about is I didn't have more intent when I was meditating. I, of course, being the personality type that I am, I put everything I had into it. And my intent was somewhat focused in that I wanted, I wanted to bring a person into my life who would, you know, be my lifelong partner. And, and that did happen. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But during this process of meditating, I would have these events, like a couple events that would happen. When I go into a meditative state, it was like I was inside of a dome. And you couldn't see the dome, but you could sense that the dome was there. And I could, I could see myself lying kind of in the middle of this dome. But every once in a while, somebody on the outside of the dome would open up a door and look in at me. And I could see the light come through this door. And it's like they'd stick their face in and go, yep, he's still doing it. Shut the door. <laughs> But, and that just happened 
over and over and over for, you know, months and months and months. But, and I got a little frustrated in that I wasn't, you know, seeing more or having more take place, but then, then things did start to happen. So one night I was lying in bed meditating and I'd been meditating for probably about an hour and kind of, and really did enter this other state of consciousness. But I was very much present. I, you know, I could feel my body, but I could sense a lot more of the room around me, just the energy of the room. So I was just laying there and it's like in my meditative state, I closed my eyes. And then when I opened up my eyes, here was this woman floating above me in this just long flowing white gown. And all I can, all I can say was that she was literally like an angel just floating above me. And she even reached down and, and put her hand on my thigh and just touched my thigh. And I, and it just felt like an angel touching you. And then she just kind of dissipated and was gone. And I never saw her again, but I was, I was really, you know, happy with that experience. And it gave me a sense of peace and that, you know, what I'd been asking for, you know, somebody was listening. So not long after that, I had another experience where I was meditating. I entered this one meditative state and all of a sudden it was like every molecule in my body separated and just opened up a gap and became kind of just like someone could take their hand and put it through your body. That's just how it felt. But as soon as that happened, then I just dropped down through the bed. But as that was happening, I could see over to my side, there was what I would say was probably a guide, a spirit guide sitting there. And he, he took his hand and went, yes, like he was exclaiming that he was so happy that I'd finally done this one thing that <laughs> he had probably been, you know, waiting for me to do for, you know, months. So that was just another, you know, signpost for me that, okay, you know, you're doing something, apparently it's right you know, just keep going forward. So I did. And the experiences in that house culminated in this event, which was really unusual because it, it occupied the physical space while I was just in a normal, you know, state. I, you know, just having come home, it was a Friday night. I think Friday night, no, it was a Saturday night because I was watching a special. I'd been home and I had, I had this big, huge sound system and had my TV of course, piped through the sound system. And there was a Beatles special on, I remember. I had recorded it. So I'd watched that and I was in just this really good mood because I love the Beatles and their music always makes me feel so good. And, and I was just really happy. And so I thought, well, you know, it's, it's time to go to bed. It was almost midnight, I think. So I turned the TV off and I could still hear just a little bit of music. And I was like, well, that's, that's just really odd because there shouldn't be any music playing because I've got the source switch to the TV and there shouldn't be anything else that I could hear. So it was so at such a low volume that it was really kind of hard to hear. So I went over, I stood up, got over and, and went to each of my speakers and put my ear down to him and went, well, there's nothing coming out of the speakers. So I thought, well, let's just shut everything down. So I went over and shut down the amplifiers and the preamp and all that. And this music just kept getting louder and louder. And I thought, okay, this has got to be the guys from work playing a trick on me. They're outside on my deck with a boom box or something, and they're, they're playing a trick on me. So at this point, the music's getting really loud, and, and the music is, it's like a four-piece quartet that you would have playing at a dinner party, like at a real high-end you know, get-together, like, like wealthy people would bring in a, you know, a group to you know, serenade the guests. But it sounded like 1930s, 40s music. And at this point it was quite loud. So I, I had enough time 
to where I went over and turned on all the outside lights, looked around, no, it's, it's nobody outside, turned off the outside lights, and I was facing the, the west wall, and I see the cats come streaming around through the living room, terrified, and they go running back into the back of the house. And when I turn around, all of a sudden, there's just this crescendo of sound, and it's like I'm in the middle of a dinner party. I can literally hear people around me, and they're, they're, clinking, their, they're clinking their plates and their glasses together and toasting, and they're laughing and they're talking. And it's just like I'm in the middle of this party. And it's, I just stood there dumbfounded for probably another at least 40 seconds listening to just this <laughs> wonderful party going on around me. I couldn't see anything, but just the sound was, was everywhere. And like I say, I hadn't been drinking. I'm, I'm a big anti-drug guy. And, but it was just, for me, it was another signpost that, okay, things are, you know, things are kind of playing out the way they, they should be. So I just chalked it up to another, you know, really big step on my path to, you know, self-awareness and meditation and, and really growing spiritually as a person. So I just kind of left it at that. Well, in all this time meditating, the one thing I had asked for, I said, I want a woman to come into my life who will love me as much as I love her. <laughs> and the pictures I have in my mind of that woman that I saw when I came out on the interviews, just popped up into my mind. Well, that next week, I've I've always been just horribly shy. When I was little, I used to literally hide underneath my mom's skirt when we go to town because people just petrified me. I just were I was just terrified of people, and it affected me my whole life because I I was probably past workmates and people will attest to the fact that I was just you know kind of unsociable, not because I wanted to be, but I just didn't have the confidence to, you know, really put myself out there. So, so anyway, I went back to work and like a week later, that woman walked up to me in the hallway and said, you know, would you be interested in going out on a date with me? <laughs> and of course it took me like two weeks to answer her. And I answered in the affirmative, of course, I'd like to go out on a date with you. So we did, and we've been inseparable since she's my, my lovely wife. And, uh, it's just, it was like a miracle. And it's, it's very interesting that when you make these requests of the universe, that you have to remember that it's literal. So when I said, I want someone to come into my life who will love me as much as I love them, you know, all couples go through hard times where you're not seeing eye to eye and that type of thing. Well, if I'm 100% showing my love for her, she gives it back to me 200%. If we're having a hard time, something's going on, and I kind of take that love and put it in a box somewhere and don't show it to her the way I should, then... Her love <laughs> also withdraws and, and goes away. So, you know, that literal thing that I asked for the universe to give me actually happened. And I'm thankful every second of my life for it. But I always have to, to think, you know, that it is a literal, it was a literal request. And, and, it's, and it's taken that way by, by the universe. So, so that, was, that, was, that was about the last thing I think that happened to us or happened to me in uh, Charlottesville. We, uh, my wife and I decided that we'd kind of outgrown the company and wanted to do something that I'd been dreaming of my whole life. And that was having my own company. So, so we both left, went out on our own and started a company and decided that we needed to put that company in a place or located in a place that had the best cost of living because we knew we were going to be stretching things and short on cash and everything. So we went on a, oh, about a three week tour of 
the entire western part of the United States, starting out in Wyoming where my parents were driving clear up through Montana, Washington, California, everywhere, to try to find where to put our company. Well, we finally decided on the town of Sheridan, which is where my parents live in a little uh, or lived in a little uh, community called Story up outside of this town called Sheridan up in the Bighorn Mountains. So so that's where we took our company. And uh, long story short, we were successful. Uh, we started with just a computer and a kitchen on our kitchen table and uh, were able to sell the company in 2006 and uh, walk away from that. Then, of course, 2008 hit and kind of destroyed all that hard work. But, uh, you know, we picked, picked the pieces up and, and continued on and not a lot. There were two things that happened in, in Sheridan, which were very interesting. And one thing that happened almost immediately after we moved there was we bought this house sight unseen. My parents picked it out for us. This home, dilapidated home built in 1908 that required a lot of work and it was all we could afford. So we moved in there and were renovating. That's one thing I've done to three different homes is rebuild them from the studs up basically. But we were just beat, you know, running the company, remodeling, went to bed one night. And this is probably, I'd say a month after we moved there, maybe two months. Well, in the middle of the night, I had a, a change in my state of consciousness where I was suddenly not physically awake, but mentally awake and aware of everything that was going on around me. And I sat up in bed and it was like some force took a drill bit, about an eighth inch diameter drill bit, and went right down through the, straight down through the top of my skull, no pain at all, but it wasn't a physical drill bit. It was a, it was an energy bit. And all I can, the only way I can relate it or relay this is it was like a huge computer program being downloaded directly into my brain. I could actually hear the digits as they were transmitted and entering my brain. It was just like this staccato of digital information just entering my brain just for probably 10 seconds, I would say. And, and then it was over. So I don't know if that was the universe's way of giving me the knowledge that I needed to you know, run a successful company. Could be. Maybe they were looking after me, but uh, it's just one of those experiences that, that really, really stuck with me. The only other thing that happened in, in Sheridan was a friend of mine from Michigan who had become acquaintances with via these other friends out in Virginia. He and his uh, wife wanted to come to Wyoming to visit us. So we said, sure, come on out. And so they stayed, they came out in, in an RV and parked in front of our house. And up above where we lived in the Bighorn Mountains, there's this place called the Medicine Wheel. And it's an old, ancient Native American Indian stone circle of probably... 40 yards in diameter with wagon wheel spokes radiating out from the center out to the outer edge. And it's a, it's a highly sacred place for the Native Americans. And it's, it's really an interesting place energy-wise to go and see. And we were lucky enough that when you park down in the lower parking lot, you've got to walk about a third of a mile to get up to it, up on top of this mountaintop. And there's this kind of nice gravel road that they've made that goes up there. So we got up there early and walked on up. And there's always a uh, Forest Service ranger up there or a guide uh, to answer questions and stuff. So we were talking with him. We were the only ones up there. And it just had a nice time, you know, seeing the site and decided it was time to go. So we started walking down the road to get back to the parking lot. And there was this group of like six people walking up, you know, to go see the medicine wheel. So the four of us were walking down the road. And it's like suddenly, well, when we first noticed this group of people, they were about 100 yards away from us. But then suddenly the next thing we realized, it's like we had just pass through these people kind of like we just pass through each other 
almost like a mist, like two walls of mist, you know, passing through one another. And we were standing there and turned around and all of a sudden those people were, you know, 30 yards behind us. So that was another odd thing that happened in, uh, in Wyoming at that point of time. But the one thing I, I forgot to tell you about when I was young, the other sighting that happened, this leads back to those nightmares that I had. I told you that the National Guard had this training facility around Guernsey where we grew up. Well, my brother and I were always hiking between our house six miles into town. We'd just hike through the prairie, go in, and once we were of age, old enough, go in, see my mom at the bank, see a couple friends, and then either get a ride with her back to the house or, or just walk back. Ultimately, we had bicycles. We could bicycle back and forth. But it's, it's just a beautiful area, that part around Guernsey, because there's just all these stone limestone outcroppings, kind of these miniature cliffs, uh, lots of green grass and cedar trees growing here and there. Well, my dad would go out and hike with us sometimes. So this one time we were out and really the only remembrance I have of it is my dad and my brother and I standing in this field about three miles outside of Guernsey. And coincidentally, it was near about a mile away from this place called Register Cliff. And Register Cliff is a place where the pioneers, when they were migrating westward and populating the western half of the United States, they would, you know, make their way via these forts. So there'd be a military fort that they would go to and stay, replenish supplies, and then continue on with their path, you know, to try to make it to California or wherever they were going. Well, that main pathway ran right beside our house in Guernsey. And then gradually took off and went a little bit north to this register cliff. So, And they would stay there for the night. That was their first night out of Fort Laramie. And they would all etch their names in, in the sandstone cliff. So there's all these hundreds of names on this, maybe thousands of names on this register cliff with a date. It's, it's a real very nice tourist thing that people go to see when they're in Wyoming. But we were, we were near that. And the only remembrance, the only thing I remember is my dad and my brother and I suddenly being in this field facing east. I was to the left of my dad. My brother was to the right of my dad. And I could hear this droning noise. And the only way I can describe it is if you've ever heard a dynamo, a dynamo is this thing that spins up in, it goes, but it's also got a Doppler effect to it to where when a component is coming towards you. This it's it frequency shifts up to a higher frequency a little bit, and the one that's moving away from you shifts downward a little bit. So you've also got this kind of warbling effect of that frequency as it's you know spinning, and it was just overwhelming. It's like it was all around us, and as, as those things normally do, that happened, and that's about all I can remember of that incident. But we got in my dad's probably his 1947 Willys Jeep that he had. And drove back to the house, and my dad and I talked about it a little bit, and we were like, "Well, what? What did you experience?" And I said, "The only thing I could hear was just this overwhelming, you know, droning sound." And he said, "Yeah, me too." And but we never asked my brother about it, and just until like a month and a half ago, my brother and I had never really talked about that incident. And it was after listening to one of your podcasts, I was like, oh, "I just need to talk with my brother Greg about that day." So I. I called him up and I said, you know, do you remember being in a field with dad? And I was, we were just standing there, just stiff as a board, straight up, looking towards Register Cliff, that direction. He said, yeah. 
I said, do you remember anything about it? I said, did you see anything or anything? And he said, well, yeah. He said, I looked up and there was a huge triangular-shaped UFO above us. And I was like, what? <laughs> I said, all this time, you know, that I've, I've mentioned Dad and everything, and you and I haven't spoken. All of a sudden, now I, <laughs> I know that there was this, you know, a huge UFO above us. And I said, well, what did it look like? And he said, well, it wasn't triangular. He said it was, it was a triangle, but it was a long pointed triangle. So I found a couple of pictures online and sent to him. And he said the one that reminded of him the most was the Imperial battleship on Star Wars, that big, long, huge, pointed triangle battleship on Star Wars. He said that's what it looked like. He said that shape, but he said it was smooth. He said it didn't have all that stuff, you know, protruding from it and all the windows. And he said it was just smooth. But I was just dumbfounded that, <laughs> you know, after, you know, what, 50 years, that suddenly this piece of information falls out of the sky, you know, into my psyche. And, and then I suddenly have this, you know, further proof that, you know, that was probably another abduction experience. And there were three of us involved in that one, you know, not just me. So, so that was, that was quite a revelation when, when we talked about that. So anyways, getting back to the timeline, when we sold the company, we'd lived in Wyoming for about 15 years. So I, I had promised my wife that once we were done with all that, you know, with the company and everything that we could move close to her family who live in Oregon. So that's what brought us to Oregon. I originally got just this incredible job at a 3D printing company up in McMinnville, which is coincidentally home to one of the first UFO photographs, a very famous photograph in McMinnville, Oregon, of a UFO floating above a farm. So that's where we ended up and had this just beautiful home on top of this hill that looked eastward towards Mount Hood. So we had Mount Hood off in the distance and the town of McMinnville down below us and just just a gorgeous place to be and just an incredible view. So anyway, my wife's sister and her husband wanted to come spend 4th of July with us. So this would have been probably 2000, probably 2012. So I said, yeah, you know, come on up. So they came and spent the weekend with us. But on that, I think it was a Saturday night. We were out on our back deck and and they've never they've never had any UFO experiences or seen anything or never talk about it, anything like that. So we were out on the deck and we were watching all the fireworks go off, you know, around town and that all kind of died down and it got later in the night. And about three quarters of a mile, maybe two thirds of a mile off of that deck in the distance, there's this big row of Douglas fir trees that runs north and south, probably three or 400 yards long, this big row of Douglas fir trees where we were sitting there. And all of a sudden this it would, it would be a UFO, but it wasn't a typical physical UFO. I'd call this an energy ship type of UFO. Appeared, and what it looked like, you know those old-time pinwheels that they had in the 60s that were made out of, uh, oh, that real flimsy plastic, and they would bend it over and create kind of a pedal, and you'd blow on them, and they'd spin these pinwheels? Well, it looked like that, but there were only three pedals sticking out of each one, and there were three of those formed in a triangle. And those pedals, those groups of three pedals were spinning counterclockwise. But it was the most incredible iridescent green color I have ever seen in my life. And I've never seen that color on Earth before. It was just so unusual. And it just kind of moved up a little bit and then followed and moved along the face of those trees northward, just gaining a little bit of altitude. And then by the time it got to the end of those trees, it just took off and it was just gone. It was just, it just disappeared. And all four of us saw that. But another one of those things where it's like, we haven't really talked about it since then. 
it's like, yeah, we saw that. Do you guys remember seeing something? Yeah. But that mechanism of that takes place of not really reviewing what you saw as a group and talking about it, you know, kind of took place again. Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. Anyways, a few years later, we moved down to the city, Eugene Springfield area, where my wife's sister and her husband live and the, their kids. And we bought our home down here. Well, my, my wife and I, we have a habit, well, not a habit, it's a hobby of every night we go out on the back patio and we sit in these lounge chairs that we have and we watch commercial airline flights go over. And Portland Airport is north of us, you know, 100 miles. And then, of course, L.A., San Francisco, San Diego is due south of us. So we're in a position where we have all these commercial flights going over all the time. Of course, the pandemic took that down to almost zero. But we have this game that we play where we take turns guessing the altitude and the speed of the airplane that's flying over. So we've both gotten really good at guessing, okay, it's at 38,000 feet. It's going, you know, probably 490 miles an hour. And it's, it's a Southwest Airlines flight. So I open up FlightAware or Plane Finder and... Look at that plane. Sure enough, we're we're pretty much right on the money all the time. And then the lower level planes, the little you know local commuter flights, the Dash Eights and stuff, they fly around eighteen thousand feet. So we see them coming over, and then we've got the FedEx cargo planes, the small planes that come over, the intertown connectors. So we've gotten really good at, at guesstimating altitudes and speeds of things in the air. And like I say, my brother and I grew up watching satellites, and and then my wife and I, after we watch the airplanes, then we stay up watching satellites go over and the space station and all that. We just, we just love anything that goes over in the sky. So anyway, last year, 2020 is kind of the latest set of incidents that happened. And it was in October, towards the beginning of October. And we were sitting out there after watching the airplanes fly over. And we see this thing coming from the South, but it's moving so fast that it really catches us off guard. So we're both immediately paying close attention to it. And I've gotten myself programmed now wherever I see anything that's strange, I start counting. So I, I want to count how many seconds I'm seeing it. I want to make myself aware of everything that's going on around, you know, what I'm seeing. So I started counting. But the strangest thing about this craft, Nick, was the fact that as it was moving in this straight line northward, almost on a true 360 heading, as it was moving forward, it was instantaneously accelerating forward, then instantaneously accelerating backward, and then it would instantaneously accelerate to the left and to the right at 90-degree corners as it was making this path northward. I was like, my God, that can't be possible. This has got to be an optical illusion. I said, this has got to be some type of satellite that's moving, and it's an optical illusion that this single light in the center is moving this way because it's physically impossible for something anything that we know of to do that. It's just physically impossible. So I was counting and I said, okay, you know, it's gotten to a point to where I think this is a satellite, but I'm not, I don't, it can't be a satellite. 
you know, I, my mind was fighting with itself. And I said, okay, if you're not a satellite, you need to make a turn. And the second I said that, that's, this thing went into a bank and headed west out towards the ocean. So I was like, well, <laughs> that wasn't a satellite. And so the next thing I wanted to do is I wanted to get plane finder or flight aware up to see if there were any commercial airline traffic in the area that I could substantiate and maybe get in touch with somebody to see if anybody else had seen this. Well, I looked at my phone and it was as if something had taken my phone, unlocked it, it's an iPhone, unlocked it and was scrolling through every single app, every file, every picture, every bookmark at like a thousand miles an hour. It was just sitting there scrolling through every single thing I'd ever done on my phone. And I showed it to my wife and I said, look at this. And she looked at it and, and then the whole thing was over. My phone stopped, it was gone. And then we were just left, you know, sitting there kind of dumbfounded by what we'd seen. So, so we thought that was, well, that was cool. You know, that my wife just saw her first physical UFO. That was her first physical sighting. So that was kind of cool. I think it was a couple of days later we were out. Well, but in the interim, I'd calculated, okay, I, we both said that thing, that thing was probably around 35, 38,000 feet altitude, just because we could kind of see, I could kind of see a structure and it almost looked like a cage is the only way I can describe it. And you couldn't see it clearly, but it just looked like there was some type of cage around this light. And that's what allowed me to say, you know, just judging by how it looks, it looks like it's about, you know, 38,000 feet or so. So the next night, I found a commercial airline flight going along that exact same path, and I timed it. So that light that we saw that night took 13 seconds to traverse from the southernmost position to the northernmost position where it made this left turn and headed out west over the ocean. So the next night, I timed this commercial flight that was going over at 400 and I think 83 miles an hour. So I did the calculations. And that thing that we saw that first night was doing 6,800 miles an hour. And, you know, of course, that's open for, you know, argument because you can't really tell how high it was. But it was approximately 13 seconds and it was approximately, you know, 38, 40,000 feet. So it's, you know, somewhere around six to 7,000 miles an hour. So that was so that was that. So anyway, a couple nights later, we were sitting out there again and kind of along the same flight path, but this time much lower and this one we thought was probably around 15,000 feet, 18,000 feet. Here comes this thing from the south again. And I, for some reason, I couldn't focus on it real well. My wife had eye surgery here last year. And she's got like perfect 20-20 vision without glasses. So she's like a, you know, like an owl or an eagle, what she can see. So she looked up and she said, oh my God, that's a triangle. <laughs> she said, that's a UFO. And that thing went from the southernmost point to the northernmost point in five seconds. That's how long it took to go that same distance that it took the other one to go, you know, 13 seconds. So we're sitting there, well, that was something. Well, all of a sudden, an hour later, here it comes back from the north, headed south. It did the same thing, five seconds. And, you know, that one, you know, you kind of wonder whether that's military. You know, why, did, why are they following this 360, 180 flight path, you know, back and forth? But I did the calculations on that one, and the calculations on that one at that altitude and that amount of distance was about 6,500 miles an hour. You know, really odd to have those two things happen that close together. But then I think the next day or a couple of days later, we were out there getting our chairs ready, and it was still daylight out. 
five, I think five o'clock, five thirty, six o'clock, something like that. Sitting there, we, we always had the binoculars with us, and and I have I go to lean my chair back, and I look up, and here's this white spot in the sky, way, way, way up. And I was like, what in the world is that white light? And I said, you know, Julie, hand me the binoculars. So I took the binoculars and looked at it, and the only way I can describe it is. It was like looking at a jellyfish that was swimming away from you. You know how a jellyfish will kind of turn itself inside out to propulse itself through the water? It was that kind of motion, but the texture of it is like when you would, when you were a kid and you'd look through a kaleidoscope, those glass things you'd put up and you'd spin it, and you know, it has all the glass that forms this, you know, really sophisticated, you know, amazing you know, pattern of all this glass. Well, that's what the surface of it looked like, but it was doing that undulating jellyfish motion. It was there for 20 seconds, and then it just started getting smaller and smaller and just was gone. Like it was just going straight out away from us and just, you know, disappeared. So that was that. So those are the latest, the latest sightings that we've had. Say, there was one thing that I forgot to tell you that was kind of important in the story regarding when I lived back in Virginia, uh, all those things that happened to me in a paranormal, you know, metaphysical sense when I was in Virginia all happened around 1992. I told you the story of the uh, virtual party that was happening in my living room. Well, around that same period, there was there were two very interesting things that took place. One of them was one day I was bored on a Sunday looking for things to do, so I decided to go down to our local mall. And this mall has a uh, courtyard in the center of it. So I went into the mall and was just looking around the shops and ended up in the center of that courtyard. Well, I turned to my left, and all of a sudden there was a gentleman standing beside me. And he looked like he was dressed in 1940s clothing. He uh, had like a fedora hat and was wearing a suit, kind of an an old-timey suit. He was just a medium stature. But the thing that really struck me about him was his everything were just perfect. He didn't have a single blemish on his face, kind of an olive-skinned gentleman. And what, what I meant to say was his complexion was perfect. So that's not strange. What was strange was he looked at me and kind of stepped over towards me and said, Rob, would you mind if we asked you some questions and, and have a chat with you? And it just dumbfounded me because I'd never seen this person before in my life. And uh, he just walked up to me in the mall and knew my name and asked me that strange question. And I was kind of flustered, I guess. I don't like people coming up to me unsolicited anyway. So I I just kind of politely said, you know, no, I don't think I want to speak to you because I truthfully thought he was somebody that wanted to speak to me about religion or, you know, whatever. And I just wasn't in the mood. So that was one strange occurrence. The second strange occurrence, which was even a little more odd, was a really good friend of mine. He and I used to go down to a restaurant i think called tgi fridays every friday and have dinner and we just go in sit at the bar and uh, you know just enjoy ourselves visiting with whoever we could visit with well this one friday we went in there we came up to the bar and fridays are usually just extremely busy and there was really nobody at the bar there were a couple of guys sitting on the very ends of the bar so we sat in the center and there were i was on the left he was on the right there were four open chairs to my left and three open chairs to his right. So it was a rainy night, kind of stormy, and uh, everybody was kind of hunkering in, you know, getting out of the weather. And we were sitting there and we'd been visiting, had a drink and getting ready to order a meal. And these four people came in and sat down to my left. And 
the thing that was odd about them was they were all identical in stature, identical in age, three guys and one girl. And they all, they all just had that all American collegiate look about them that they were, you know, like Ivy league students, you know, probably four Oh grade point averages, you know, just like the, the perfect young example of, you know, collegiate America back in those days, this was 1992. So we sat there and just had a really nice visit. And I asked them what they were doing. And they said, well, we're from Northern Virginia and we're waiting on three friends of ours that are going to meet us here. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. And I said, well, would you like this, like us to scoot over so that, you know, they can sit beside you when they come in. And they said, no, that's fine. Just stay right where you're at. So it was about 15 minutes later, three guys walked in and made eye contact with these four people sitting at the bar. And they kind of exchanged, you know, highs, you know, hellos and such and came and sat down on the in the chairs to my right on the other side of my buddy. Well, they didn't really visit with their friends at all. They they spoke to me quite a bit and exchanged a few you know conversations with their friends on the other side. But we all just kind of sat around. I can't even remember what we really talked about it. And then it was just a you know pleasant conversation. It's always fun to meet new people. And But the, the strange thing was that when they got up to leave, these three guys, they said they had to be going because you know, the weather and they didn't want it to be too late. Well, during that night, we had never exchanged names or this friend of mine had never said my name. Nobody in the bar knew my name. And these three guys got up and they were going to leave and they walked behind me to towards the left side of the restaurant at the front door. And when they got got behind me, one of the guys put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Rob, it's been so nice visiting with you this evening. He said, we really appreciate it. <laughs> and it just freaked my friend out so badly that this guy knew my name, that he was just completely taken aback by it. And in fact, we never went out together again to have dinner. And I don't think I ever saw him again after that night. He was so shaken up by by what had happened. So just a really strange, strange thing where I don't know whether those were, you know, men in black episodes or uh, who they were, but just two instances where total strangers knew my name, came up and wanted to talk. And well, in the case of these seven people, we did have a nice conversation, but just a really interesting set of circumstances. But kind of getting back to those nightmares to kind of go back to the beginning again, what I realized about those nightmares, and this once again happened after I'd listened to one of your podcasts, and I can't remember which one now, but I realized that those were probably abduction experiences that started happening when I was about three years old, when we lived in that first place that we lived when I was born outside of Riverton. And that, that black hole, I think, was me going going somewhere into a ship, probably. But then it dawned on me that that, that droning noise that I would hear in that other nightmare was the noise of that ship that my dad and my brother and I heard. But it was it was how it would sound if you were inside the ship, not standing in the prairie you know, listening to it from the outside, that was the sound that that ship would make when you were inside of it. And, you know, here it is 50 years later that I just finally came to that realization that, you know, those nightmares weren't probably just nightmares. They were, you know, things that happened all pertaining to this whole, you know, UFO, UAP experience that has been happening all this time. But yeah, that's my story. And I, you know, I keep living it and I hope that I'm getting better at, uh, you know, kind of gathering facts as these things happen so that I can be of some use in providing some type of data, you know, at some point. So many interesting experiences there. Oh, boy. It's strange. And, you know, 
when I was born, I was born with this big like egg on the front of my esophagus that stuck out of my uh, right below your rib cage. And the, the doctors could never, it was just a mystery to all the doctors. They could never figure out why have you got this egg sticking out of your, you know, esophageal area. And, you know, it, it ultimately went away. But uh, whenever my family would get together, we'd always talk about doo-doo stuff. You know, it always come up. And when my, uh, we lost my dad here last year and all the grandkids were at the uh, nursing home that he was in in Colorado to, to say their goodbyes. So, and of course, what came up, uh, but, you know, UFOs and stuff. And my brother and I were, had a lot of good quality time there together. But the, the thing with my mom was, my mom was just the, the most gentle, pure, lighthearted spirit you could ever realize. And when she was young, she looked like a movie star. She looked like one of these 1920s, 30s, you know, movie stars, just this gorgeous woman and very intelligent. That's why she was, you know, vice president of the bank and stuff. And we'd sit around and talk about UFOs, you know, whenever the family would get together, talk about our duty stuff. And she'd always be really strangely quiet. We'll never join in the conversation. Well, about, let's see, she died in 2014. So probably about five years before that or six years before that, we were sitting around talking about UFOs again. And all of a sudden, she she just blurted out. She said, well, you know, I've had sex with an alien. We were like, what, mom? What do you mean you've had sex with an alien? She said, I had sex with an alien. And you know, it was one of those those things where it just caught us so off guard that we just all didn't know what to say. We were just completely dumbfounded the whole thing. But you know, my dad, my dad also had some other really interesting experiences. He was really an outdoorsman, and there was this lake that he loved going up to, and way, way up high in the Wind River Mountain Range in Wyoming, kind of south of southeast of the Tetons, you know, Yellowstone area, about four, I think thirteen thousand feet. And it was 20, 20 miles to get back into it. And he would always take just his best friends back in there. And to get down to the lake itself, it's called Ross Lake. You can look at it on Google Maps. But the only way down to the lake is to go down these switchbacks. That's the only way to get down to the lake itself. But then the rest of the lake is just encircled by these huge thousands of foot tall granite cliffs. Just just gorgeous. Just amazing. Well, he and three or four of the other guys that he had taken with him that trip were sitting around the campfire that night and it was like 11 or 12 at night and they were probably drinking, you know, a beer or something or probably whiskey because that's what they'd take in. But, you know, they were never, you know, real drinkers on those trips, but they were sitting there at that campfire and looked up and all of a sudden here came this big dad described it as an upside down light bulb came up over the edge of that cliff, came towards them and came down the face of that cliff, moved sideways and went back up and, and just disappeared. And then only after, uh, Greg and I had had that sighting, and actually a few years after after that, some time had passed. He told me one time, he said, you want to know what my first UFO experience was? And I said, well, yeah, Dad, I'd love to know what your first one was. And he said, well, when I was a little boy, he said, my first UFO experience was I was standing at this window. And it's a huge window that was like 50 feet long, but it was curved. And he was inside, and he said there was someone standing beside him and he was young enough and small enough that he was standing like on a little some type of riser that they had put there for him so he could look out the window and he said you could see was the earth disappearing he said they were hovering above the earth for one second you know like what you'd see when you look outside the space station the iss then he said all of a sudden it just started disappearing this and within five seconds it was gone so that was that was his first first ufo experience does seem to be uh, like a family affair. 
you know, it really does. It's, uh, and you know, of course, like I always do, I just wonder, you know, I, and I really try to make sense out of things like this, you know, the, uh, you know, like after or near death experiences and past life experiences, there's a program on called, uh, it was called surviving death. It's a Netflix program and episode six, a really famous, well, not real famous. I've, I've heard about it before, but this young child who started recounting to his father when he was just barely able to talk, he'd start saying these names of people. And as he was able to speak more and more, he started saying the names of ships and stuff and talking about how he flew an airplane and how he died on an air, in an airplane crash. And and his, his dad was really anti-UFO, anti-doo-doo stuff. But then one day this kid said, this dad was like, well, you know, just, you know, kind of stop this talking. And this kid said, no, dad, I was, I was on board the ship. I can't remember the name of the ship now, like Misaki or something. And the dad said, well, that's just stupid. That's a Japanese name. And the kid said, dad, that is not a Japanese ship. That's an American ship. Well, the dad said, well, that's weird. So the dad started researching it and researched and researched and researched and couldn't find anything about it. So he finally went to the Department of Navy and they looked at them. And, oh, yeah, that's that's an, actually an American ship that was in a battle in the South Pacific. It, uh, it was a small small carrier ship. And they said the, the only loss of life they had during this battle that the ship was in was one of the pilots went up and was shot down. And his name was exactly what this kid said it was. And so this kid was saying, yeah, that's, that was me, dad. That was, that's who I was. So, so, you know, to me that, that instance itself is like kind of the ultimate kind of proof of, you know, the afterlife. And I think about how, how all this, how this operates. And the only thing I can think of is, you know, when, when conception takes place, there has to be that split second that, you know, we as a being enters, you know, that physical, you know, thing inside the, the woman at that point. But the only way I've been able to explain it to myself is it's like if you take a plexiglass tube and lay it on its side, and when we're born, we enter that one end of that plexiglass tube, and we go through our life down that plexiglass tube, out and out and out, and then we exit that tube when we pass away. But it's not that we're dying, it's just my feeling is that our experiences here on earth are in that tube. But what we don't realize is outside that tube, there's this cube of infinite dimensions that goes in every direction that's infinite. And the majority of us is outside the tube. Everything that we are here on earth is also outside in that, in that area outside the tube. But that's the total of us. You know, everything that we are and everything that we can experience and all the energy of the cosmos that we can experience is outside. But when we enter that tube, you know, it gets filtered down into this you know, this physical life that we're, we're on. But then, then I say, well, take away the tube so that, you know, instead of it being a tube, it's an energy field. So that, I think that's where I sent you the picture of the, the magnetic lines, you know, going through the earth and how they, you know, enter through the North Pole and come out through the South Pole and, and whip around. And that's how I kind of see our lives and who we are as, you know, this energy that comes down here to earth, but then goes back out and becomes part of the, the greater, you know, cosmos, energy whatever it is out there, but then come back in again for the next go around. And hopefully we come back at a little bit higher, you know, vibrational state or higher energy state. Like a constant loop. Yeah. Like a constant loop. And it's, you know, all, all these things that we read about the UFO phenomenon and stuff. I've been reading this book, alien interview by Lawrence Spencer. It's supposedly the transcript of the interview that was done with the alien that survived the Roswell crash. And the only one that he would communicate with is this woman named Matilda McElroy. And, and she took this, you know, hundreds of pages of notes, but she was able to 
leave with a copy of them that nobody knew about. Well, they've been published in this book. And this being that she interviews talks about our existence on Earth and what we're doing here and who put us here. Just a lot of details. And, and reading the book is very, it's a very difficult read because there's a lot to it and a lot that it's hard for, I think, we as humans to really accept if a lot of it is true. But, you know, there's, there's a kernel of truth in, you know, I think any of this stuff. This woman surely couldn't have written this, you know, just on her own, you know, without. When you read it, it's almost like it'd be impossible for a person to write this because it's so, it's so far removed from our reality that I don't think you could even imagine, you know, a science fiction writer, I don't think, could imagine writing something like this. So, But one of the things they, this being talks about is the fact that we're trapped here on Earth. Our energies are trapped because of supposedly this huge war that happened millennia ago between these two factions that basically put us on Earth. One was a malevolent force and one was a benevolent force. The benevolent force ended up winning, but the the bad guys placed these devices on Earth that, that kind of keeps us trapped here rather than us being able to go out and experience, you know, the joy of everything that's in the universe, you know, everything that's out there when we transition. And that's the point that I'm at in the book right now is kind of getting my head wrapped around, you know, that concept. But it made me think about, you know, the uh, the Skinwalker Ranch TV program that's on right now. I was thinking, well, you know, I wonder if I wonder if what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch is one of these devices that these bad guys left behind, <laughs> you know, to keep us trapped here. It's, you know, it's not something that any normal person would ever think about. But, you know, having these experiences that I've had, it just makes me question everything. You know, you can't go through life. It's like you can't go through life as a normal person when these things have happened. And it's like almost every, every minute of my existence, I'm thinking about this stuff rather than being probably my wife to my wife's chagrin not being as you know present as I could be in everyday <laughs> life but you know it's like when I walk out of a building the first thing I do is I look up I never look around at people or anything the first thing I do is look at the sky and that's just just the way it is and I'm sure it'll continue I hope I can add to the <laughs> add to the information as it as it keeps going yeah I can relate to that I'm exactly the same <laughs> I'm exactly the same <laughs> Yeah, I even went so far as to try to build a, a, a camera system that would track things going over our, our house at night. Because I thought, well, you know, if we've seen this stuff just in this short amount of time, think how much stuff is flying over us in the middle of the night that we have no idea is up there. So my first attempt at doing that didn't work out. But then I got involved with this group on the Facebook. Have you heard of Skyhub? I have. I have indeed, yeah. Yeah, so I've I've kind of been keeping track of that. Because those, those guys are pretty you know high-level engineers much like the kind that we used, we had our company. And that's another strange thing that I think about is, you know, as we go through life, it seems like there's all this disjointed stuff that we're exposed to. But in my life, I look at it and it's always been about frequencies and vibrations and, you know, the interaction of them and, and all that. And in our business, we made these devices so that if Say you had your iPhone and you wanted to connect it to the factory radio in your car so you could, you know, control your iPhone from your the buttons on your car's radio. We were the guys that made the devices that made all that happen. So it's it's a pretty high level, you know, engineering uh, job to do that. Mainly because we had to reverse, you know, the the car manufacturers don't want you knowing how their stuff operates, so they keep you they do things to keep you out. So you've got to reverse engineer all this stuff. Well, in, in that world and in electronics engineering, for people who have proprietary information, there's a thing called an API. It, it stands for Application Programming Interface, 
or we we also call it application protocol interface. And what it is, it's a it's an engineering package that say say Sony has their electronics that they manufacture, and they all communicate via this digital language and this group and this subset of hardware that allows all their stuff to communicate. And and they would create an an engineering package, an API, so that if somebody wanted to work with Sony's equipment, Sony could give that other company that API and say, okay, if you if you build your stuff so that it works with this API that we're giving you, then our Sony equipment can talk with your Apple equipment. You know, it allows two disparate pieces of electronics to communicate, much like you know, a Wi-Fi router communicates with your laptop or, you know, any two pieces of disparate electronics. So, you know, I think about the fact that, you know, really our, we as humans are biological computers. We've got our case that we're enclosed in. We've got a power system. We've got a cooling system. We've got sensory inputs, you know, we've got five sensory inputs and we've got the CPU, you know, our brain. It got me thinking about how, well, you know, what we interface with here on earth I now call the Earth side API. You know, that's that's the part that's programmed maybe into the left side of our brain that, that allows us to do everything we do here on Earth. But on the right side of our brain, maybe, there's the cosmic API. <laughs> so all these all these things that we we experience that are out of the norm, you know, like my like my meditation stuff, well, perhaps that's the cosmic API, you know, slowly making contact with this Earth side API in my brain. And those channels of communication, you know, slowly learning how to talk to each other and allows us to also, you know, see things that we would not normally see. Like, you know, some of your guests that, you know, uh, have the, you know, paranormal experiences with ghosts and entities and other, other things. It just makes me think that there's this biological communication, energy, electrical system inside of our brains, which of course it is that, but I think it's tightly connected to the cosmos, but we just haven't learned how to access it. it. It's out there, but we just haven't gotten to the point where we're we're accessing it how we can. The saying does make sense. Yeah, and like I said in that note that I wrote to you when I first contacted you, these uh, these quotes that I found, you know, that Albert Einstein made. You know, he he just perfectly sums all of this up in these perfect little snippets of you know sentences that just go, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to convey. You know, in my in the way that I can do it, I can't do it like Einstein. But if you just read through what he says, it, he's he was much more tuned to the metaphysical and the spiritual side of things than anybody ever knows has known. He just reading those snippets of what he says, you can see that he he could see he could see through all that. He could see through the physicalness of you know who we are and what we are and what we experience into how things probably truly are, which we won't know again until we pass over and go out and you know, get to experience that side again. But I'll tell you, it sure has given me, uh, it's given me a lot of comfort as I get older, <laughs> thinking that, you know, when I die, I'm not really going to be losing anything. Everything that I have here, I'll still have. And that's just a testimony subset of what I'm going to be, you know, when I get out there, because when I get out there, everything that's ever existed here on earth that I've ever known is going to be out there too. And that'll be that'll be a reconnection, and then at some point, it'll be, you know, down the down the plexiglass tube again. I find it a little bit exciting. You know, I try not to be morbid about death. Mm-hmm. And I've been I've been the same pretty much my whole life. We have this life here now, and you know, we're going through all these wonderful experiences. Sometimes mm-hmm. bad experiences. You know, the 
Yeah. But I don't, I don't fear getting old and I don't fear moving on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's, I definitely feel, you know, there's just, it's just another step. Yeah, it is definitely another step. Of course, I'm in no hurry. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> you know, you need, you need patience, but I think you have yeah, to, you have to enjoy, you know, now, you know, that, yes. that can wait, yes. you know. <laughs> exactly. And more and more, I'm finding myself just to be the nature boy. I, I try to walk four miles a day just to keep in shape and keep the pounds off and stuff. But I'm I'm the guy now that when it's raining out and I'm walking on my four-mile hike and I see an earthworm out on the middle of the street, I've got to go get that worm and put it back in the grass. <laughs> that's you a know, man from my own heart. <laughs> that's the kind of guy I've become. So. I came out of the shower yesterday and uh, my wife's talking to me and she goes, what's that in your hand? And I goes, oh, it's a moth. And a moth, when I was uh, having a shower, a moth had flown into the shower and stuck, yeah. <laughs> stuck to the shower I curtain. Had- <laughs> so I had decided to save him. I had to take him out and I dried him off and then I put him out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Wonderful, Rob. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day, okay? Hey, you too, Nick. And I sure appreciate it again. You take care. Yeah, you're more than welcome. And uh, yeah, again, again, keep in contact, all right? And I'll talk to you soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, thanks, Nick. That is all for today. Keep updated and connected with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you have an encounter that you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or you can reach out to me via the contact page on my website, ufochroniclespodcast.com. Big thank you to Rob for sharing tonight and thank you for listening. I will be back on Sunday. Till then, stay safe and keep watching the skies. Goodbye.